Hello, sister. Hello, sister. So this is Songs of Innocence and Experience, aka the PTSD episode. This is our first like episode specific episode, but it's really two episodes. Uh, today we're talking in depth about season six, episodes two and three, uh, Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience. A little, so definitely watch those two episodes before you listen to this. Have them fresh in your mind. So these two episodes come immediately after the girls are freed from the dollhouse and it's kind of them re-acclimating uh, to life, not in an underground bunker where you're being tortured uh, by your stalker. But before we get into that, we want to talk just a little bit about the episodes in general. Yeah, these episodes have really interesting titles that I didn't know, like, I, I didn't know where the titles for these episodes came from. If there's one thing that Pretty Little Liars is never going to do, it's disappoint on a title for an episode. They have the best titles. So Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience are, is a, it comes from a two-volume illustrated collection of poems by William Blake. So Songs of Innocence was published first, and then Songs of Experience came a few years later. And the sort of idea behind this, the, this collection of poems, was that Songs of Innocence sort of represents childhood and, and innocence, and Songs of Experience is like the loss of childhood through sort of like you know, through experience, through knowledge, through a, a few different things. It explores a lot of different themes in these poems. And it's sort of like the two states of the human soul of innocence and experience. And so you have a lot of like matching poems. So you have, you know, in Songs of Innocence, you have infant joy. In Songs of, Songs of Experience, you have infant sorrow. Uh, I'll include in the episode description some of the... I, I didn't read every poem from this collection, obviously, <sighs> but I know. I didn't do the full extent of the homework. But Your English teacher I, would be disappointed. Your high school I English know, teacher. I know. But I did kind of find some of the poems that I felt like had interesting themes. Um, so there's like the chimney sweeper that's in both Songs of Innocence and Experience, and like the theme behind that is about how sort of the societal like societal conceptions of like this like false morality robs children of their innocence or the lamb and the tiger the tiger i think is probably a poem a lot of people are familiar with that guy from game yeah. of thrones did a car commercial where definitely read yeah i definitely read that one <laughs> um my high school choir performed the tiger as a song it was Wait. bad Wait, wait! This was after you graduated. Yes, I can't even remember how it goes, but like the poem is like "Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright in the Forest of the Night." Oh, so you do what remember? Immortal hand or eye? <laughs> yeah, no, because I had to learn a song version. It was the worst song. It's it's a it's a good poem, but it makes me cringe a little bit just because of that song. Um, but the lamb, and so the lamb is in songs of innocence, and the tiger is in songs of experience, and that's about kind of good and evil being created by the same God and the sort of contradiction that that 
it necessitates. One that I thought was really relevant to these episodes is Garden of Love in Songs of Experience, which is about a beautiful meadow that, you know, the the author used to go to being replaced by sort of Wait, a foreboding. Is that yeah. Twilight? Like the meadow in Twilight? Yes. Like the, yeah, exactly okay. like that. Except for now it's been replaced by a foreboding church and a graveyard uh, instead like of Twilight. a field of flowers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's there's a few other there's also little girl lost in songs of experience or sorry little girl uh lost in songs of innocence and little girl found in songs of experience and that's kind of about this like girl that is lost and then found? she's not exactly found though she mm-hmm. remains where she was lost to but there's sort of this acceptance of the, her like growth kind of right like she's grown and she now has to exist in this new place um that is and it's not like a sad thing anyways so i i thought that that was interesting nice. sort of again in the context of these episodes well thank you lots of experience thank you for that little english class you're welcome. I appreciate you doing that work, even though you didn't actually do it all. I actually have no concept of how many poems might be in these volumes, which is why I was like, not going to commit to reading it all. Because I was like, it could be hundreds. I have no idea. I mean, but I've committed to also partaking of a great media masterpiece in Ravenswood. So the fact That's that you true. couldn't read these poems for the podcast shows a lack of dedication. You're right. I'm sorry. I'll try better <laughs> next time. If, any, uh, if anybody wants to listen to, or if, every, if anybody wants to read all of the poems and let us know which ones they think are uh, relevant to Pretty Little Liars, by all means. But yeah, it will not be me. We do welcome that. So one thing I think that's like really like kind of fun and, and different about the, these episodes in particular is that for the most part, the the liars, the main group, are not together. And I think it leads to a lot of fun little side conversations that we don't typically have. And yeah. one of those conversations... Fun, inexplicable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> Same thing. And one of those that I just love so much and I want to talk about because I just don't know what's going on here is the conversation uh, between Toby and Allison outside of the police station um Allison's coming back from you know talking with Spencer Toby is like broing out with Lorenzo his new uh partner and Allison part of walks- Rosewood PD's fresh perspective I yes I did want to I want to know that. what is that everything mean? I want to know everything about the like whatever like you know corporate restructuring like cultural shift they're trying to engineer at the Rosewood PD. What is that? Like this has to be as a result of them fumbling so hard where they arrested these girls for murder, had them kidnapped and then out of their custody and then believed that they were on the run. It's good to see that something's being done. Yeah. (laughs) Because they they haven't done nothing. Victims of this crime, like, they were the criminals for so long for i would say most of the weeks like probably a good half of the time that they're in this bunker they're being 
hunt like searched for by yeah, the Rose it's like a man as yeah. as villains has like you know remember and- these girls were planning something big these teenage girls were planning something big yes. and also though i just and far be it for me to defend the rosewood pd however careful but listen to be here <laughs> it was the state police that did this you know what you're right like, this was primarily at the direction of the state police so and i think that this again this speaks to how and maybe i should say this for the acab episode but i think this speaks to the broken system yeah. of policing that the rosewood pd for all of its problems right are the ones that get the blame and have to change because of this yeah. when it's actually goes it's higher up than that right it's yeah. the state police that are the issue here because Tanner has a real vendetta against these girls. Tanner was definitely bullied yeah. by some girls in high school. Yeah. Um, and look, to be fair, they are lying to her face constantly. I mean, and she can tell that. She's picking up on something. She's just... <laughs> yeah. Can't quite pinpoint what. So, back to this conversation, though. Mm-hmm. Allie, kind of, to Lorenzo, gives him a little, like, so, are you new in town? And that's when we learn about the fresh perspective. And... I just love like this cliche, like flirting line. Um, but the bulk of this conversation, the one that I really wanted to talk about was when Allison and Toby are talking and Allison's just come from seeing Spencer and she says, you know, Spencer, she seems okay, you know, physically. And Toby goes, they went through a lot. And then Allie, peak Allie fashion goes, we all did. And then there's like this weird vibe shift. After, I mean, it was awkward before, but then after, like, she says, we all did. Toby, like, turns to her. And there's some great acting happening from Lorenzo on the side. He's, like, looking between them like it's like a tennis match. Like, what is going on here? What is this vibe that's just come here from out of nowhere? And Toby then says, after Ali says, we all did. Toby says, oh, and how are you doing? And Ali goes, I'm glad it's over. Toby, me too. And it's just like, it's so awkward. I I remember watching, I feel like I remember watching this episode for the first time and being like, what happened between Allie and Toby? Right? Nothing. Nothing, nothing new. <laughs> nothing new, yeah. It's, it's, it, it's almost feels like there's a part of it that like, were the writers trying to like leave something open here, you know? Like, were they still, at, even at this late stage, thinking, what if Allie is bad? Yeah. I Not on their side? It, yeah, it, but this is also when we start making her go to church, and church really makes Allie boring. It makes a lot of people boring. Yeah. Um, no offense to anybody that yeah, goes I to guess. church. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you're great. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but... Yeah, I don't know. This conversation is just, it's so, the vibes are so weird. And I love, I i implore everyone to watch this conversation and also take special note of Lorenzo and what his is happening on his face because he's just met Allison. And of and course- that's the only time we'll ask you to take special note of Lorenzo. <laughs> I We can commit to that. <laughs> also, can we talk about the fact that Lorenzo was- apparently sleeping on some old lady's couch yeah that is so for who knows how long i don't even i mean not that long because he's new ish yeah but but she is a great civic-minded lady as lorenzo (laughs) describes her 
but with creepy Hummel figurines. Hummel? What is that? Those are those, I don't know, those little, like, porcelain-y figurines. Oh, I didn't realize children. that was it's such a weird, such a weird vibe between Toby and Allison, though. And then later, when Allison is talking to Toby, or t- Allison is talking to Lorenzo about that soccer team business, Toby's like watching them through the well, window of the Apple Rose Grill, Luke's diner. Because whatever. I think what we are, <laughs> it is Luke's diner. I think oh, what it we is, are yeah. supposed to uh, come the conclusion. I think what the conclusion we're supposed to come to with this and the awkwardness between them is. I think we are supposed to believe that this is just Toby being concerned that Allie is going to try and date his partner. And we know how Allie's relationships tend to turn out. And but we have not seen Toby interact with Lorenzo, except for when Lorenzo doesn't let him commit police brutality. Yeah. But I, I mean, listen, in Toby's defense, I too would protect a random stranger from Allison De Laurentiis. Yeah. It's That's valid true. to not want anybody to be subject. Because I think, you know. Especially Toby, a cop. Oh, I mean, because we know what Allie does to cops. Allie yeah. drives cops to insanity. I mean, it's actually pretty impressive. But yeah. So basically, it's weird. Yeah. But I think, though, like all of that, I think all of Toby's interactions in this, in these, in the, especially Songs of Innocence, I think, with Allie and Lorenzo and this whole like weird thing, I think it is just about him not wanting Allie to date Lorenzo. And that backfires. Um, and I also think it's interesting in the way in which Spencer kind of gets on board the Allie and Lorenzo train. Yeah. And I don't know if yeah. we were if we want to talk about that when we talk more specifically about Spencer, but I do kind of love when um they're outside of the uh, of the police station i think this is after andrew has given his toxic waste toxic dump speech right yeah it is yeah and and lorenzo and toby are there and spencer goes and introduces herself to lorenzo and she kind of says very pointedly like we're allison's friends and yeah you can kind of see toby in contact with toby because this is after toby has told her keep ali away from lorenzo and Spencer is basically just saying, like, fuck that. Like, I actually, I ship it. Yeah. Like, to, in Toby's defense, again, I'm not to defend a cop here, but. And especially uh, not to defend to- Toby. Yeah. Toby's got to be thinking, like, he sees Allie kind of cozying up to Lorenzo. And he's like, I just know that some part of this ends in me committing a crime. Yeah. Because my partner gets dragged into committing a crime. Yeah, no. You know, I, like, that's what he's concerned about, I think. Totally. Is that this is going to drag him into getting in trouble in some way. It's a valid concern. Yeah. And in some ways it does lead to him getting in trouble. So that's that. That's that whole Toby arc. Um, yeah. So I guess <laughs> there's a lot of Toby Allison in this yeah. it's weird and on that like when so when toby is watching them through the window of luke's diner oh yes um Allie and lorenzo are talking about the soccer team the church, church soccer team. team but it's open and, to everyone yeah but it's open to everyone anyone any you know except well anyway girls. <laughs> yeah except for girls because <laughs> the kids start to notice certain differences at this age as and, Lorenzo put it which they are young kids so like, like these are uh, they're not they've not hit puberty 
they're probably between the ages of 10 and 12, Morgan. Are, really? I don't think yeah. it's 12. I would say more like 10, but I, would I think you're not. 10, I, think you're, I, mean, I don't know what kids' ages are. Who does? But, but yeah. regardless, they're they're he, young. They're young, but they are kind of, I think, generally in that like time, which is when yeah. I think he just typically said it really soccer, weird. He just said it weird. Said and it like it's creep. also like they, and also in in the way that it's not that just there's a boys team and a girls team. It's that there's no girls team because right. the girls team lost their youth leader. What what happened to the youth leader? Murder. So. Yeah, probably. So they they've lost their their leader, their youth leader that and, was coaching them. Yeah, and he's trying to recruit Allie to coach the girls team. Now, Allie in a in a you'll notice, bout of self awareness is like nobody's going to let me do that. Yeah, and you'll notice that Lorenzo during this whole interaction having a full conversation with Allie in the middle of the street, completely ignoring the children. He is you know, custodian of at this time because there is a second coach. Yeah. The boys soccer team has two coaches. They have presumably a coach and an assistant coach. Neither of these men could have coached the girls team instead. No, no. The the implication is that we need a woman to coach the girls team. Why? We are in Rosewood. I guess. You know what? Start. I guess that's yeah. fair. Do um, you think Lorenzo should be questioning that at least? <laughs> he just got here. How much of the water has he had a chance to drink at this point? Enough, I guess. But I will say... He is hitting on Allison, who is in high school, so you're right. <laughs> I will say what I wouldn't do to watch Allie coach a, a girls' soccer team. Yeah. I, can... I mean, I'm especially though earlier, Allie. Oh, I'm less interested and less interested in church going alley doing yeah. it and way more interested in even just alley from like five episodes ago doing it. Uh, yeah. Would love to watch that. I would watch oh, that. That's a spinoff it. that I would love to watch. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like Ted Lasso, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's Ted Lasso meets like that will ferrell kicking and screaming movie i think is meets, there's maybe but there is also a mary kane ashley movie called switching goals yeah that i could also those. see there's like the Bundled twins up. there's like twins so i feel like switching goals makes sense it's a yeah it's all those i've never seen ted lasso so who knows what it's actually about oh i have no idea <laughs> um so okay another great little bit in this i don't know if you call it a bit but another great thing in this these episodes is the feminization of society. I and this is obviously Andrew has been set up to kind of take the fall for being a and the actual a fakes a note and all about how he hates these girls and thinks they represent the feminization of society and I just love that. It's it's so incel. I love it. Yeah, it's I. I love the manifesto. Yeah, I would love to read all of it. Yeah, I would love to read all of it. I I like to imagine you know CC coming up with this manifesto to frame Andrew with. She had so much fun with that. So much. Um. I also, as we're talking about Andrew, as we're talking about Andrew, also need to talk about his incredible line. This is after he's been released from police custody. 
he runs into the girls out in the town square and he's you know understandably pretty annoyed because Arya has flat out lied to the police and said that she saw him and you know he's taking the fall for this thing that he definitely didn't do and he says to the girls other towns have nice toxic dumps rosewood has you classic love <laughs> yeah. that and That's i will point. say so i think the interesting thing about andrew is like you see him coming out of this like police station after he's been held for i don't even know how long um but you know and accused of this thing and you think like wow like this poor guy like he really didn't do anything wrong like poor guy and then he kind of starts talking more and i lose all empathy for him because yeah. he talks about how the reason he was you know in hiding all of that time that they were searching for him he was actually looking for the girls because he was going to be the hero he was going to save them and like ride in on his white horse and like save them yeah. from their from their dungeon and yeah he says like yeah like i was gonna be the hero and you're just like oh yeah I, like i was feeling bad this. for you i was feeling bad for you and i lost that because this like savior complex that you've developed is ridiculous and also like dumb like sorry fine maybe that's what he was doing at first but i think the second that you start being implicated in this crime you should probably step forward and say like hey guys yeah. i didn't do it i mean maybe he didn't know i guess it was all over the news but maybe he wasn't watching the news he, he was, was watching the news we literally see him morgan we see him yeah. watching he's watching the news happen live because he's hanging out while Allie's holding her press conference outside of her home so that's he's right watching the news Oh, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. He's fully aware. <laughs> so, okay. Where is they're searching for him? You say, you say, like, oh, understandably upset. And I, like, I agree, like, in this moment, like, he's just been released, right? Like, he mm -hmm. hasn't had time to process. I can understand him being upset. I would hope, and I know that he's, so he is also a teenage boy who has experienced something quite traumatic, right? However... I would hope that in a few weeks, a few months, whatever, when he's had more time to process, he should be able to let go of that anger because, and understand that like these girls were held in a bunker. Agreed. And like, agree. ultimately this didn't have like, like he didn't get charged with anything, right? Like this isn't going to have like tangible long-term effects on him other than like the trauma right which well okay. i actually beg to differ on that because really? seo his name now anytime you google andrew campbell when he's applying to jobs it's very easily going to show up with some things that you probably with news articles and stuff, want yeah. even if he's like fully like exonerated of these yeah. charges never again, charges anything so, also I mean, partially his is... fault for not agreed. coming forward agreed. right away. Very much agreed. Because if but... he had, he would have had an alibi, right? If yeah, he had no, come exactly. forward, they would have found the girls in the bunker and would have known that he was yeah. with the in police custody when and like probably like there wouldn't have been much media attention around him because yeah. they wouldn't have been like and again if he'd turned himself in, I think they would have been more oh, I agree. confident that he yeah. wasn't. I do have hope. I do have hope. And I do think he should, you know, come to a point, maybe not 
I don't think we he would have been at that point in the five years forward because he was still like 23 at that time. But I, I hope... I, no, I think by that point, I think that he uh, should not... Really? I, I'm not saying like, like he should be over this experience, right? But he shouldn't blame Arya or these True. girls. He should mostly blame the police. Yeah, well, he apparently tells the police that they like manipulated him into helping them, which is like, no. Yeah, you, like that didn't happen. You wanted you wanted to hook up with one of them. He didn't seem that particular. <laughs> and you pushed yourself into this situation. Yeah. You put yourself here. They did not manipul- manipulate you into that. No, definitely not. Oh, Andrew. Um, yeah, Ugh, Andrew. So I guess if we're talking about characters, do we want to talk about Sarah Harvey? Yeah, so this is when we get to meet Sarah Harvey for the first real time. Um, yeah. Sarah Shower Harvey. And I i mean, we've talked about her. Yeah. We don't love this character. I and just don't understand the acting choices. Like, so I, think I did have a little bit of a, this character, but I had a little bit of a breakthrough, actually, when it comes to the acting. When you wa- when you watch this and you see this actress portraying Shower Harvey at face value, you think, "Wow, this is some of the worst acting I've ever seen," and it definitely is. But when you think about what's actually happening here in the story, this isn't an actress portraying a you know young girl who's just been held underground for two years. This is an actress portraying a young girl who's pretending to have just been held underground for two years yeah and it makes the acting a little bit better i'm not gonna say it's good it's still painful yeah but it at least like i don't know maybe the actress maybe maybe i don't want to name her and put her on blast but it 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 makes the actress's choices a little less bad Still very yeah. bad. I definitely, I mean, and not seeing this actress anywhere else, so I think everybody else got that memo. Yeah. And I, also, on the shower part of Shower Harvey, um, so unnoticed, so Emily says, when she is like on the phone to Spencer the next morning after Shower stays the night with them for the first time, and Spencer asks, like, oh, is she there now? Like, and Emily's like, she's in the shower. She takes a lot of showers. It has been at best like 12 hours max. How many showers has she taken? That's actually at crazy. least two. <laughs> she had to have ta- she must have gotten there that la- like the night before. Taken a shower. Taken a shower, woke up the next morning and taken at least another shower. Maybe, maybe two. She, I, because Emily should have been more suspicious. Because, yeah, like, okay, because if she had taken a shower that night and then if she took a night shower and then woke up and took a morning shower, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of a lot of showers. But like, there are people that like to shower before and after bed. Like, they're very, you know, whatever. And it's all the performative hygiene people on the internet. Yeah, exactly. And she's just been held in a bunker where she wasn't able to shower. So, like, you kind of get she might, you know, want to shower. A fair bit. So for Emily to say she takes a lot of showers, I think it's minimum three showers, maybe four. I don't know. I think she's taken a lot of showers. I mean, I agree. Um, Um, Also, super 
like super suspicious the way she shows up and she's like, I saw your address at the hospital. Yes. Fucking Let's how? talk about that. How they, Pam and Emily should be far more suspicious of that. How yeah. loose is the hospital with patients' addresses? Because to be fair, also, this is a hospital in Rosewood. Yes, but also, to be fair, Shower was never seen in Emily's room. Emily goes to Sh- Sh- Shower's room. So, yeah. in in reality, I guess, you know, Emily could have looked at, at her chart or whatever. But, I don't know, Does are addresses on people's charts? That seems like a little unnecessary. But yeah. Whatever. Like, just, like, where in the hospital like, did you see did her address? It doesn't make any sense. I also, other questions I have. Where are her parents? Like, what level of, like, well, obviously her, dad, like, we're, her dad's gone. Out. But what level of, like, truth do we think there is in all of her stuff about her mom and like her mom sounds very abusive and like awful Mm -hmm. and but like it has to be pretty true i think because otherwise shout like her mom would have like gotten her back right like clearly i will say i do care i do think that this actress her best work is when she is talking about uh the 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 stuff that feels the most like oh like this kind of feels like a child who's been traumatized and abused by her mother her best portrayal of that is when she's talking about that like do you know what i mean like everything yeah, else she's is like telling the truth awful yeah. but like when she's telling the truth like i think that this actress maybe, maybe this actress is brilliant that's what i'm like maybe maybe no. she <laughs> just really conceptualized sarah harvey as being a bad actress that's what I'm saying. Like, Maybe it's a I choice. It is. I think it might be a choice. <laughs> so moving on from Sarah Harvey. So, um, oh, I did have one more thing. Oh, yeah. With Sarah Harvey. So the story that, you know, Emily has been told, everybody has been told is that, including the police, is that Sarah had been down there for two years. And I'm not a doctor. I, I mean... <laughs> Do we need to give your part, your boyfriend Arden, a here. regular segment? I just feel like doctors would be able to tell that was yeah. not true. And yeah. I'm not saying, I, I, I don't know, but I just feel like there are greater physiological effects of being underground than like being pale. And I just feel like the doctors should have had some, some sense yeah. of that. Well, she's had presumably no dental care, presumably, like, I mean, I guess you can make the argument maybe, like, she was really well fed and stuff, but, like, no dental care, no medical care, really, like, and you, I think you would expect to see probably some, like, like, muscle loss, like. Yeah. I just, I just feel like there's, like. One of the doctors should have caught on to something being fishy in that story, and they just did. But again, these are Rosewood doctors, so. So, the doctor, the doctor has said that you could definitely tell, but that the uh, a regular, just like doctor that wasn't looking for it, probably like unless they were already questioning the story and like really digging into it, probably wouldn't wouldn't necessarily notice anything suspicious so it checks out as usual pretty little liars no plot holes no plot holes (laughs) so so also with sarah harvey when emily is 
going to head to school. And Sarah Harvey's like freaking out. Emily goes into her like desk drawer, pulls out a phone and hands it to her. She's like, here, like, you know, you should have this while I'm gone. Like if you need to call uh, in case you need to like call anyone. And Sarah Harvey's like, oh, like I can't take your phone. And Emily's like, oh no, it's a burner. My friend gets them for me. (laughs) I love how far we've come. I love how far we've come. I love that. Like, I, I don't know that they've ever explicitly talked about getting burner phones before this, or at least not a lot. Like they're not constantly bringing up like using burner phones but they are right it's so casual the way they do it obviously the friend she's referring to is caleb because caleb i think has gotten them burner phones before and then they were just kind of like yeah just assume they're using those when it makes sense to and they're like it's not a huge thing but i also just love the idea of like imagine someone doing that right imagine someone like handing you a phone and be like oh no it's a burner phone my friend gets yeah it's not even like oh i can get you a 18 year old yeah and it's not like oh i can get you a burner phone it's like no i have have one in my desk drawer is a radio shack do radio shacks (laughs) it's the it's the last remaining radio shack and also though in i guess again in the defense of the actress that plays sarah harvey she makes a little face when Mm -hmm. when emily is like oh it's a burner phone my friend gets them to me that makes you think this is sarah harvey being like oh my god they they have burner phones this really puts a wrinkle in our operation i mean like, not like yes, a wrinkle, but, like, but but do you I'm, I'm sure that charlotte knew yeah i mean i think she knew right like i think i think that's like charlotte knows things assumes right but like this is like confirmation right like yeah and probably okay. like not shower so doesn't face. know this like that yeah, this is shower. probably news for her what here's what the face I think is that she's making. It's not so much like, oh, like this throws a wrinkle on all the plans. It's like, oh, this is something I need to report back. Yeah. That's the face, right? 100%. And it's so good and it's so subtle. And props, you know, yeah, like, I don't understand a lot of the acting choices that she made, but that was good. The face yeah. she makes there is good. It's almost like she's like, ooh, I've got something juicy to share, you know? Like, yeah. When you when you actually have something to co- to contribute to a, a meeting or something, and you're like, oh, yeah, what a relief. <laughs> and I, I imagine that right after Emily gives her this phone, Sarah Harvey's like, I have to take a shower. Yeah. And runs off to go take a shower, take a shower and call Cece. There is a situation in which something is shared. I can't remember if that's it or if there's another one where something is shared. And then she goes, I have to go take a shower. Oh, oh, this actually, this was another moment I wanted to talk about. And I forgot it's, I think what you're thinking of is when Pam comes in talking about Dr. Sullivan and saying she made an appointment right. for Emily and Sarah Harvey to talk to Dr. Sullivan. And, you know, they explained to Sarah like, oh, she's, you know, a therapist. Like yeah. she, you know, does works with trauma or whatever. And Sarah Harvey looks really uncomfortable. And she's like, I have to I go take a shower. Yeah. And she leaves and goes to take a shower. And, and I know. have to imagine so she can call Charlotte 100%. to be like, should I go to this appointment? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and just to like, let her know, like, hey, Emily's talking to someone. And that then too, we do yeah. get this, we do then get the story of they're going to talk to Dr. Sullivan. And then they get that phone call that is yeah. a threatening Sarah in her sleep, you know, saying like, if yeah. you talk, I'll kill her sort of thing yeah so good um, which is so i love the countdown of that too yeah it's like 
like leave the room in 30 seconds or she starts uh-huh. counting down and they wait a solid 10 seconds before they do it yeah well one thing though that is fun that i noticed is that is their first post bunker a message oh yeah it is and i love that they get it together i think that's yeah. really sweet yeah. um okay now we can move on from sarah yeah After- the other thing that was fun was like the like Allie's parents hiding place thing when they're yes. all looking for they're they're looking for proof of Charles in the De Laurentiis house and you know Allie is kind of like you know you guys have searched this house but you were looking for my hiding places not my parents and so they're all like searching and that's just like I, I love the places that they choose to I, search. I also just love the idea that this family just all has hiding places. They just all have secret yeah. places to hide things. And yeah, I love the azaleas. I love that. That's so good. And that's one of Jessica's hiding spots. And then I also love that Aria actually finds the actual hiding spot in a jar of buttons. And I think it's interesting that the reason Aria thinks to look in the buttons is because that was also her hiding spot to keep her like candy money from Mike. And I love that. I think that's fun. I think that it's fun that Arya and Jessica have the same hiding spots. I don't know what that means. It's a good hiding spot. Yeah, I mean, it's um, solid. Okay, so the another thing that I wanted to talk about was... We've been talking for, like, easily yeah. 45 minutes. We haven't even gotten to the, to the actual no. bills. <laughs> no, but it'll be edited down a lot. Although the Spencer one is, like, over two hours. I haven't edited it at all yet, but the like recording is over two hours and i know we recorded and i know we recorded some of our like chat before and stuff to like going through the outline but we didn't record all of that we started toward the end of that so like uh, it'll be a long one anyways so an interesting theme throughout the episode is people making eye contact with one of the liars in the room no without the liars i feel like yeah, yeah, no, like, oh, one of oh, the liars okay. is They're in making... the room, yeah. and the other two people in the room are making eye contact about them. Yes. Right? And it's, first of all, super disrespectful, <laughs> super yeah. rude, um, because it it kind of gives the vibe of, like, oh, they're crazy. Yeah. Like, and, and, and it's well-intentioned, of course. They're, like, concerned about them, but but it's also a bit, like, patronizing and, like, yeah. and I and love alienating. When... Yeah. And, I love when this is happening between Ashley and Caleb because like Hannah's brought her mattress down to like get rid of it because she's getting rid of all of her stuff. I mean, speaking of, she's getting rid of mattresses. So expensive. But anyway, you know what? She gets to. That's a lot. Fair enough. You're not. You're right. You're right. And, you know, Ashley's like asking her about this and she's like, I just can't look at it anymore. It's ruined. And Ashley Mm -hmm. and Caleb kind of look at each other and, you know, Hannah goes multiple times yeah yeah and Hannah's like don't look at him look at me and they keep looking at each other and then it's just so good and I I think it's also interesting that like then Ashley asks her like finally like how is it ruined and it makes me wonder what does Ashley know seems like nothing yeah well I mean yeah, I mean, Caleb, or maybe Caleb tells her after this, right, and explains to her. Because that's the thing, all the boyfriends know. Sorry, <laughs> did the, the cops parents... not say anything to the parents? The cops didn't say, okay, so your child was held underground in this bunker 
in this bunker, they all had their own rooms that were modeled after their bedrooms. Like the so cops Ella, didn't tell that to them. Ella says that the cops told them what it was like, but not in detail. So like, that's not even that in detail. I know. And it seems very relevant. Something that you yeah, should share. I, I mean, I think that they did tell them. I think, and I think you see this the most maybe with Ashley. There is a little bit of sort of, it's never spoken and it's never made particularly clear, but also just because the world is the way that it is, you have to imagine there's the thought it crosses people's minds and like their parents' minds. Like what did, and you know, at this time, they think oh, Andrew, yeah. like what did Andrew do to them in the bunker? Right. Mm -hmm. Because at this time, like we think that it is a man that held them in a bunker. Yeah understandably i think the parents are probably wondering if their daughters were assaulted right mm -hmm. and so i think that the fact that hannah you know is getting rid of her mattress at the time when this happens and is saying like it's ruined i think ashley isn't yeah. necessarily like ashley knows right that she was in her room and she understands that aspect of it but i think she's looking for more specifics right yeah like but that's what she's like ruined how right and that's she's true. trying to get that information but doesn't want she doesn't want to right. suggest it right and then, i appreciate that about pretty little liars right that yeah. a no sexual violence did occur and oh, b well, sorry well. in the bunker yes and b it's never it's never explicitly talked about as a mm -hmm. concern after I will say, though, uh, I guess I do just continually have thoughts on Sarah Harvey. There is, I don't know if it's in these two episodes, but there is a scene in which, like, it's after her and Emily and she kiss says, for the first time. And she says, yeah. I haven't had a real kiss in years. Kind of implying that she's had fake kisses or, like, non-consensual kisses. But let's also, but, but I don't believe that. Right? No, like, I'm not saying that. No, implying. Oh, I'm not saying that that's what happened to her. Yeah. What I think is she is letting the, her believe that that's what happened to her, and that's, yeah, but it's well, very subtle, and it's, it's very, very subtle, and, and I don't know that everyone interpreted that. It interpreted it that way. I'm not saying that that's a wrong interpretation, but I don't know that like everyone watching would have thought that. You let know us know, I mean? guys. Uh, let us know, everyone yes. that's watching. Did you interpret it that way? Am I just? Yeah, because because the other thing too is like you know obviously we know it was Charlotte that was keeping them in the bunker and Sarah Harvey was a stand-in for Charlotte's sister so right. definitely I don't think that there was any anything sexual oh no, no I do think that there I know I know what you're saying but I do think that there that was an intentional possibly like uh, hint or like implied by Sarah in that moment yeah, yeah. Um, so like you know to make Emily feel bad for her. Anyways, yeah. And so, then, oh, and then the other eye contact moment is just uh, when that like lawyer or detective or whoever that's like interviewing Aria when she lies about seeing Andrew, uh, and Ella is there as well, and Ella and the lawyer, detective, whoever, uh, keep like making eye contact. Yeah. And it would make sense if it was like the DA or something because they're working on building the case at this point. Mm, so yeah, I maybe. don't know. I don't know if they explicitly say what this person's role was. It's a yeah, woman in a suit. So one thing that I think is very interesting about this is that there are no, none of their dads are present. None of the liars' dads are here. I don't consider Ken in that because 
Allison wasn't being held in a bunker. I'm speaking specifically from the and point he's not of much of a dad. That too. I'm speaking from the fact that these girls were all held hostage in a bunker. And yet we see no fathers, none of their fathers in both of these episodes. So obviously Tom's not there because why would he be? Wayne can't get a half a day from Army, but Peter and Byron live in this town. And yet we don't see them. We don't see them try and comfort their daughters, speak to their daughters, exist near their daughters. It's really interesting to me. And I think we don't see any of them until Byron in 604. He's the first like father we see again. Mm -hmm. So one thing though that is interesting is that Byron and Wayne are it was saying just Wayne feels wrong for some reason like the fields are Wayne fields and Pam fields I like I don't like just using their first name maybe it's because they're so like the kids like they're the yeah I feel like they're the type of parents that like kids call them like sir and ma'am and stuff well we know that they're the type of parents who want to be called Mr. and Mrs. By their, yeah. by their children's friends and partners. Yeah. So Wayne and Byron are both referenced. We're told that Wayne Fields can't get time off Army, which, which is insane. Insane. But and actually, like we we get that we get told that almost immediately. Emily yeah. is on the phone with Wayne and it's like, I understand, like the Army's army is a nine to five. Uh Crazy. Because he, like, took a lot of time off when she was kidnapped. I'm like, well, I I think, I think Army would be like, oh, she's back. You should, yeah, you should go see your daughter. Yeah. Um, because anyways. what good is he? What yeah. value is he bringing when he's, I would think, and I think, I think Wayne is a good enough father that I think he is probably very much concerned and preoccupied mentally. With his daughter, who has just been released from bunker, oh, he's safe so, from a bunker. And she so was he, really released. Yeah, <laughs> released. He's free now, but, but <laughs> no, like prison. He's not. He he's thinking about this. He is, his his mind is not all in army yeah. at this. I point. also just can't imagine that he's so important to army that he can't go back. I can't for either. I can't either. Um, so, and then Byron is also referenced at one point, like Ella says, like, oh, your dad's dealing with the cops. But I don't think that Peter or Tom There's no reference, no. ever referenced. It's never even a question. Which, like, Tom, I mean, of I get, course. Right? Tom but sucks. Where the fuck is Peter? And why aren't we justifying his, his, his like, absence? Absence. Yeah. yeah. Like, where is Peter? <laughs> Probably in Philly. Who knows? So, okay. But so also, though, from a, like, story perspective from like the writing perspective of these episodes the choice right not to include any fathers i do love it i I do yeah i think it's great i think it like you know we get a lot of mom and daughter time which i think is honestly the more comforting of the time (laughs) yeah and also if you think of this as again like innocence to experience right like this sort of like leaving behind of childhood mm-hmm. i think it makes a lot of sense that we have their mothers there sort of shepherding them guiding them being a support to them in that process yeah totally so the other general observation that we had 
before we get into like the specifics of each of the liars, we will get there eventually, is the use of windows. So like windows and like them looking out of windows is a very common theme throughout these two episodes. Every single one of them has a moment where they like open their window or stare out their window or something like that, like almost to like remind themselves that they are in yeah. their actual bedroom that they can leave and not the bedroom that they had down down in the dollhouse. Yeah. And and it's interesting it's it's both it, it serves like almost like two contradictory purposes, right? I think it reminds them that they're not in the dollhouse. But at the same time there's something about them like there's something about standing at a window that also like gives this impression of being trapped. Yeah. Right? That I think it sort of serves as a reminder that like they're now sort of like trapped in this trauma, right? Like they're back to their normal life, but their normal life like there's no relief in that, right? Because they're still very much stuck in the dollhouse mm-hmm. internally. Yeah. One thing though that I do one thing that I noticed too is that the first kind of window scene that we get is Emily on the phone with Wayne, the aforementioned conversation. Mm-hmm. She's she's looking out a window at the hospital. Um but then the next window scene that we get is Aria is kind of home and she's talking she has this conversation with Ella. I think this is when they're talking first about Andrew. And then she kind of just like you know, looks like she starts to kind of panic, have a little bit of an anxiety attack and rushes over to her window and like opens it and like takes a deep breath of like the air and cut that, that scene then cuts immediately to Veronica opening Spencer's curtain. Spencer has her back to the window and she's just digging through her bag, looking for her anxiety meds. And I just think like, that's an interesting like cut from like Aria is like able to like manage her anxiety by opening this window and like taking a deep breath of air and Mm -hmm. spencer is really kind of hyper focused on like finding this anti-anxiety meds yeah i also speaking of spencer is similar to the windows i really love the scene where spencer is trying to sleep and she like is panicking and she sort of like jumps out of bed like like and like crawls across the floor and like shoves her shoe in the in the door so that it can't close yeah and i that moment is i I, like incredible like the acting from troy in there so good that's what i was gonna talk about i was gonna talk about the acting and i think there's like an element of the way that she crawls across the floor feels so childlike and it feels almost like i'm hoping this is a universal experience when you would like run up the stairs but like mm-hmm. crawl up the stairs as a kid yeah. run and... up the stairs on all fours because like right. the lights are turned off behind you and yeah you're, you're coming up dark. from the basement and you like turn yeah exactly it like that's what it looked like to me and the, the way that she was doing this it wasn't like a confident like let me get up from bed and i'm gonna just open this door it was like very childlike in the way that she and did so, it and so like panicked mm-hmm. and so good uh, God, Every single one of these girls is acting their ass off in this episode, in these two episodes. It's so good. (laughs) And that's why, like, when we were talking, when we were ranking in the other episodes, their, like, their episodes, I was like, the, these two episodes are, I'm not even including them because I would have to give them for all of the liars, like, all of the girls. They're so good. Yes. I, it's so good. 
So windows are a really common theme and throughout these two episodes and a little into like the episodes after, we see a lot of these girls staring out the window. But I love that the last window scene that we get in this two episode arc is A, looking into the De Laurentiis window while Ken is telling Allie and Jason about Charles. And I just think I love that kind of like those bookends of all of these girls are looking out the window, kind of like looking for some comfort, some reassurance from that. And like A is like still looking into the windows, you know? Yeah. Like the the girls are trapped inside, right? And sort of like in their trauma, but also you get this alternate perspective of like a Charlotte, right. Is trapped outside, like kept away from her family and isolated in a different way. Like the girls are isolated in this sort of like confined way. Mm -hmm. And Charlotte is isolated in this sort of pushed out. But also these girls are looking out the window and a is still there. Like a is still looking into their windows. And I love that kind of like, they're still, they're not like you were saying they're not free at all as they're freer (laughs) they're not in that particular like prison bunker but they're not they're still being watched yeah so now let's dive into like some we've you know we've touched on some of the specifics when as it relates to each of the girls but now like really just want to dive into each one individually so should we start with aria so Aria, I don't know, I feel like her immediate response, right, is is about blaming Andrew, like trying to like make herself safe, right, by making sure that Andrew stays in jail. Yeah, and her and, and she's like, push it down. She's like, let's just get Andrew for this, and then yeah, everything and will she, be perfect and good. And very much like moving forward, right? Like she even says, like, I want a like giant wall between before and after i I actually have that quote written down because i think it's really great she is like the first one that we see like leave her home in any like real way like she Mm. is out at the brew almost instantly like we have one scene of her at home and then she's out at the brew and i think that that's interesting like she's like Mm -hmm. wants to get out of her house um but anyways while she's there understandably yeah (laughs) while she's there Ezra comes up to her and is like you know they have a you know good conversation he's like are you okay and she says I will be and then he says you have an advantage you can write about it and she just is vehemently opposed to that um she says I don't want to do that I don't want to memorialize it I don't want to think about it being in a diary somewhere in my room I want a nice big wall between before and after yeah and that's like something that reoccurs too is like she really is not interested in putting any sort of she's not interested in writing it comes to a point where she doesn't even want to talk about it and she just channels it all into her creepy ass photography and i think i i really like when she says like she doesn't want to think about it being in a like a journal somewhere in her room because that gives it like a life and a physical presence that she does not want and i i I really like that's such a real, I think, response. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I'm I'm impressed that, like with the writer's ability to like, there's so much nuance in and realism in the way that these girls are dealing with this trauma. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredibly impressive to me yeah. how they wrote this. And well, 
Ella says to Arya at one point, Arya, you're very smart, but please remember you are also very wise. And I feel like that's like actually like quite wise. Yeah. Also, okay, wait, I want like Arya's Arya's photography is also I think I think is maybe my favorite plot line of the of a liar like dealing with this trauma because it's the way that she finds this like inspiration with the doll right Mm -hmm. she like took these pictures of her room which like makes sense right she's like kind of grappling reclaiming or like I I actually think it's more about putting a distance between herself and her bedroom or like Mm -hmm. her bedroom in the bunker right like putting the camera between her and the bedroom like Arya who loves movies right and I think that in a way taking pictures of the thing makes it less real because it's like you know a movie that she sees right and so it's it distances her from it I think interesting enough all of her photography is black and white and as we know the black and white is for the sad parts (laughs) although I can't (laughs) I can't imagine Aria ever taking a full color photo I can imagine one that's sort of you know the sort of like in like old looking sort of yellowish hues and stuff right I could see that I couldn't see like a full color photo no never but so she she's taking the picture pictures of her room and then she sees the doll and one of the like her this creepy porcelain doll for some reason that she has in one of the pictures and kind of like zooms in on it right and then it's at the end of songs of experience when she goes to take a picture of herself in the mirror and she stops and she's kind of like not able to do it and instead turns and focuses the camera on the doll. Mm. And I just, I think that, that it's so interesting too that Arya finds this sort of distance and freedom in using the dolls that she's photographing to reenact, right? Like in some way, like what happened to her, not necessarily literally, right? Sometimes it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's an emotional, it's a representation of the emotional experience or whatever. And that's really interesting because the entire series has been very much about dolls. Dolls has been such a consistent theme and Aria, you know, as one of the liars being treated like a doll, like that's what the game is, mm-hmm. is that these girls are dolls and the the dollhouse is sort of the culmination of that. And so for Aria to find her like coping through turning dolls into the subjects of her photographs is really interesting. Well, and in and a it's... way puts herself in the position of A. Right. I was going to I was actually going to say that like cuz a few episodes later when she's entered this art competition with her creepy doll photos, mm-hmm. A swaps them out photos that a took of them on like metal (laughs) like surgery yeah where she posed them like dolls right and i think that when they were like drugged and i i think that it's fascinating that like aria had taken photos of dolls and kind of used like almost like a little bit of a self-insert you know the dolls were kind of representing how she felt and then a literally had done the same thing like took pictures of her dolls and that was the art that was that was displayed at this gallery yeah and also like i think it this would have been a really 
if if they wanted to make Arya A, but didn't want her to have been A like the whole time, I think this would be a really interesting turning point. Yeah. Like, retroactively for this to be her origin kind story. Of origin story. Yeah. To becoming A. Because she does it like it's very much her putting herself in the position of being A and posing these dolls, using like I, I love it so much. And I love especially getting to watch everyone react to her photos. Yes. <laughs> it's hysterical every time. They're <laughs> so disturbed. As they should be. So another thing about Aria is and her like healing journey is she's she invites Spencer over. So after mm-hmm. she's kind of messed up with the cops and lied about having seen Andrew's face in the bunker, she invites Spencer over. And this is the first, like, this is the first in-person meeting between any of the liars since yeah. the hospital, since they were together in the hospital. And while Spencer is there and she's, you know, Arya's kind of like, kind of frantically recapping what happened with the cops. And she's like, I messed up so bad. And while Spencer is there, like Aria says to Spencer, I'm sorry, and apologizes. Yeah, and I actually, so I have this conversation. Oh, great. Aria says, thanks for coming over. And Spencer replies, thank you for calling me, which is very formal, mm-hmm. like both, like very formal. And then Aria just says, sorry. Spencer says, for what? And then Aria, there's like a silence and then Aria changes the subject. Yeah. It's so good. It's, it's so good. And yeah, like the way that they're so reticent to like actually say what happened because none of them know what the other's experience is. Mm-hmm. And so they don't, they're scared. Like they are afraid to know yeah. what happened to in, each other. And in that same conversation, Aria says something that I think also kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier with the whole photos versus writing thing. She says, And I don't know if this is a direct quote, but she says, I'm done talking. I'll stick to the visuals from now on. And I Mm -hmm. think like that's when, you know, it starts with she doesn't want to write about it. And now she's like, now I've messed up. I don't want to even talk about it. And I think it's like she really throws herself kind of into this photography, which is interesting because, I mean, we see Aria dabble in photography um, before this, but it's not really a part of her personality or like how I think how she views herself. And I think it really does become a part of like who she is as a person in this kind of PTSD response. Yeah. So moving on from Aria's like coping with the trauma, let's talk about Spencer, who I think, of course, her thing is kind of focused around drugs. Yeah. And sort of the mystery. She's definitely the first one to re-engage in trying to like solve the solve what's going on. I actually am going to push back on that a little because she's not. Like, I think that when they're in the hospital, they're all kind of like trying to figure it out. Like, who's Charles? Who's Charles? I can't remember if they know about the whole Andrew connection at that point or not. And and they do. Spencer says the cops will know if Andrew is Charles when they find him. And that's like one of a few times where she says, like, I'm just letting the cops deal with it, letting the cops handle yeah. it. Like, oh, yeah. Like, at that first, she, she's not. It's but... not, but I think she's almost less engaged at first than anyone else. Like, I think the other girls almost start a little bit more in- engaged, like trying to like figure this out and like make sure, like, Aria, especially, like, what, like we we're talking, like, Aria wants to make sure that Andrew goes down for this. 
and yeah. she'll lie to the cops. Like she is still, I think, invested and engaged in this in a way that I think Spencer was really, you know, disengaged. Where I would say the first half of half of Songs of Innocence, um, at least, if not a little bit longer. And then she kind of like gets back into it. Yeah, but I do think that she I think she gets back into it kind of maybe when she because she doesn't have the drugs is part of it. Or like she's yeah. like she's kind of resisting using that strat mm-hmm. that coping strategy. Yeah, like the girls at first are like interested and she's very much like not interested in trying to like solve things right away. But then she's the first one I think to sort of resume normal mystery activities yeah (laughs) yeah and and i think that that is like a response to her not having that other coping strategy or like Mm -hmm. not wanting to depend on it and like okay let's talk about veronica withholding the anxiety meds yeah i feel like we kind of talked a little bit about this on our spencer episode but i think definitely should talk about it again it's It's, fucked up it's unconscionable to me i can't i I don't have any children, but I can't imagine your child coming up to you after something like this and saying, I haven't been able to sleep. And in the hospital, I was able to sleep for the first time in weeks and then denying the thing that allowed them to sleep. And listen, does Veronica try and help her through this? It's not like Veronica Veronica says, no drugs for you. And then just like leaves. She's not Peter. Yeah, but, the, like, movie night thing is very sweet. Yeah, and, it's, like, it's a sweet attempt, but I think it obviously isn't working because then she has to, like, get her, um, I guess that's maybe a little bit later. She gets her weed cookie from Sabrina and yeah. eats it at a... Yeah, well, first she, steals, first she steals a pill or two, I think, from Aria. Yeah, she, steal, she steals Wait, a pill. She has one yeah. pill. And yeah, she, like, which keeps it... Take more, Spencer. Yes. <laughs> Arya can get a refill. Um, I Honestly, I like, I mean, maybe Arya wouldn't have given them to her. I don't know. Because these people don't seem to understand how, like, drugs and addiction work. But, like, I don't... Okay, so we don't know what anxiety meds specifically she was prescribed. But, first of all, if the doctors have her medical history and Veronica shared with them her history and the doctors say no but like like we we yeah. still like we're still going to prescribe this and then veronica says like no i don't want it and they're like okay like clearly like the doctors were comfortable with giving mm-hmm. her this and also it's very different like again she was addicted to amphetamines yeah this is an anti-anxiety drug it is the exact opposite and i think honestly not giving not letting her have this is encouraging even yeah push her toward amphetamines again Mm -hmm. and it's it's an anti-anxiety like she has experienced a very severe trauma and she could it would be very much expected and like normal for her to need anxiety meds for the rest of her life yeah and that wouldn't be consider that wouldn't be an addiction. These are mental health meds. Mm-hmm. I mean, this and show is she, remarkably anti mental health medication. Yeah, we ref- like Ella is really against Mike ha- getting on antidepressants. 
Yeah. Mona becomes a superhero when she goes off her drugs or supervillain. It just depends. <laughs> I think hero. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, no, I think it's like, I think it's really kind of Veronica's worst mom move. One of her worst. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I just, I just, I just I can't don't I understand simply, it. I cannot fathom my child coming up to me in this situation and denying them that I can't And because here's the thing is like Veronica could like I could I think it would be acceptable for Veronica to want to set some safeguards and boundaries around this medication right so maybe maybe Veronica keeps the medication right and she gives Spencer a pill each night and then you know we're gonna wean off of it or whatever Mm -hmm. or like try to wean off of it see how it goes whatever um, but also, like, at no point is she, like, does Veronica really, like, push or encourage Spencer to, like, go to therapy? Nope. So, like, <laughs> yeah, withholding no, the mental health meds and also withholding, like, therapy. Or not withholding, but, like, not not actively, like, mm-hmm. you know, she's a teenager. Like, you you should be bringing this up and suggesting this and, like, you know, not, like, pushing, pushing, but, like strongly encouraging that she go to therapy and also i think like so then i think we're supposed to think when spencer turns to weed right we're supposed to think that like she's really slipping she's really losing it no i think that that's actually like again something like that could be could become a concern right if she was but even like the but way she's like in which she's doing it, the way in which she's doing it, like she is microdosing weed. It's wild that nobody picks up on it. I mean, I guess Hannah does kind of attempt to call her out yeah, on it. Are, but... You're really savoring that cookie. <laughs> but like, yeah, sorry, like, this she... is like a later episode too. But, but like... Oh yeah, sorry. But like, the, yeah. I think it's just like that. I think is actually potentially an ideal long term solution for Spencer. Yeah, to use marijuana for her Better... anxiety. Yeah. It's probably better and, you know, potentially less long, long-term long effects than if she, you know, in Veronica's fear, g- became addicted to anti-anxiety meds, which like, yeah. oh, wow, so bad. Addicted to not having anxiety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's definitely, like, sure, could she... You know, I don't want to say addiction. That's very much a debated, contested thing. Like the, whether or not you really can dependence. Even addicted. Dependence, though. Yeah. Like, could there be a dependence there that could be an issue? Yeah. But like the way that she was doing it, where she was like microdosing, is actually like a valid mental health like management strategy, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, obviously, in recent years, there's been a lot of research into using different drugs and, like, mental health treatment. There's been a lot of research uh, into using psychedelics, like LSD, in treating PTSD, actually. And the the research is really encouraging, actually. Like, the, it could be, like, a very effective treatment for PTSD. And there's a lot of, this is not like, oh, if you have PTSD, you should take LSD. This is, like, therapy being done under the influence of LSD and there's all of these different like procedures and uh, around it and you have to have two clinicians and all of this and it has to be recorded and all of this stuff but I don't know though I would really love a spin-off of the liars like going to do like ayahuasca or something together yeah <laughs> but like a lot of these drugs like 
have a lot of use and benefit in like mental health and mm-hmm. weed is a good treatment for anxiety and it doesn't mean that it's for everyone it doesn't but like the way that spencer was doing it she was very responsible honestly she was micro dosing the hell out of that cookie was and if she box. had if she had a more supportive system where she could be more open about this as a mm-hmm. as a coping mechanism I think it would remove a lot of the potential danger that there is there, like the potential for it to become an actual problem. But because she has to like do this so secret, secretively, like it is more likely that this could turn into an issue. Yeah. I'm assuming that's based in some fact than if she were to be, if she was able to talk openly about this with her parents, with her physicians, with a therapist, like that would Mm -hmm. ensure that there is a team of people to kind of help make sure this doesn't become an issue that she doesn't have because she's doing this so secretly. Yeah. Well, and also just like, again, from even just like a physical person, like a physical health perspective, like not getting sleep and having chronic stress and anxiety are like the biggest factors in like lowering like your life expectancy. Mm-hmm. and your general health like those are two major things having like a dependency on weed even if she developed a dependency there's there's an argument like i'm not going to say like there's an argument to be made that that is long term still better than what the alternative seems to be yeah anyways that being said do not you know if you if you get in trouble for drugs do not cite this podcast as your <laughs> Yeah, I would love for this podcast to be used in the court. <laughs> oh, God, I would not. <laughs> um, so moving on from her, you know, drugs again, like that kind of yeah. throughout the, these two episodes, she's really kind of looking for those anxiety meds and the weed stuff happens, I think, in a few episodes later. Yeah. But I think there is some really interesting stuff happening with between Spencer and Allison in particularly like I think Songs of Innocence. You know, actually, middle of the podcast warning, I have no way of deciphering which what happens in each of these episodes. They are one for me, so I might say something happens in one and it happened in the other, but anyways. So I think there's some, you know, nice moments between Spencer and Allison, and I think it's kind of like them rebuilding their friendship. I think more than maybe anyone, their friendship was damaged in the, you know, post-Mona murder and investigation period. But yeah, there's a nice moment when they're looking through Jessica's azaleas to try and find a clue about Charles. Um, And they just like, I don't know, it's just like, it's a nice friendship moment. And they seem like, you know, really kind of to like each other and to want what's best for one another. And again, we mentioned it earlier Spencer is shipping Allison with Lorenzo, and I love that. They have, you know, their little boy chat over the azaleas, and then later on, Spencer kind of tries to wing woman Allison with Lorenzo a little. Yeah. I'd love it more if Lorenzo wasn't so boring. (laughs) Yeah. Did you not have anything to say about that? No, I mostly just had stuff to say about drugs. Oh, okay. Drugs are Uh, really important to you. I just, Spencer really gets unfair treatment about those drugs. I agree. I agree. (laughs) Look, I think... I think that the intervention and everything was really valid when she was on amphetamines, but that I think that we are way too hard on Spencer about 
her using anxiety medication Mm -hmm. after her kidnapping yeah i wonder Um, i wonder if this would have been treated differently if that amphetamine relapse hadn't happened and also was you know uh, i guess it wasn't that recently well i mean in the grand scheme of things it all happened within her senior year of high school so i mean in the grand scheme of things two days ago she finally got clean from amphetamine (laughs) (laughs) she was still using before the dollhouse yeah (laughs) i guess i guess they have like the months Forward, yeah no there, it, longer, but... it's not quite that bad but yeah, yeah it's, it does all take place <laughs> in her senior year so I wonder though like if that relapse hadn't happened in her senior oh, I think year that, yeah would, that definitely colors it I think like you know she'd had that issue the summer that Allie disappeared but it you know more or less was clean I think until that relapse I don't really like that word clean yeah um sober yeah so let's talk Emily yes um so Emily the least so, healthy way of coping yeah emily and aria i think both have what I, what I would call an immediate response and then like a longer term coping response so like for aria it was like you know trying to to make sure that andrew stayed in jail and like feel safe in that way was her immediate response and like longer term coping was her photography which i think is probably like the, the healthiest of all of the girls is but also upsetting <laughs> Um, but Emily, anybody else doing photography probably wouldn't be so upsetting, but, (laughs) um, but Emily, her immediate response is to take her father's gun and go to a shooting range. Something that I think is interesting is first of all, this is such a good scene for Emily. Like when she talks to her mom about this, finally, she basically says like, she was afraid and she was hoping that this would make her less afraid but it just made her more afraid. And I think that this also goes like we talked about her like savior complex being partially due to like her father being mm-hmm. in the army and the fact that she like idolizes him. And I think we really see how that is damaging here. Right. Well, like, and also we see her use his army uniform, almost like armor. So like, obviously like before she even decides to steal the guns, she puts on his like jacket um, yeah. And then there's a scene later on where she, where um, when Sarah comes to her house at night, but before that she looks outside and decides to go outside. But before going out, she puts on his jacket again. And it's mm-hmm. like, I, I think it's like, yeah, she feels like safe in that probably partially because it's her father who again, can't be here. But then also, yeah, like I think she feels stronger and like more, of a hero or whatever when she's wearing that yeah she feels she feels braver and so she kind of you know takes it i guess to that next level right of like shooting the gun and that makes her more afraid and also i think it's interesting when she's shooting the gun you see that she kind of like blinks like flinches a little bit with each shot mm-hmm. which i think is a really nice touch because it's not like overdone it's just like kind of a it's just like it's a very bit- subtle I would then argue, though, that Emily's longer-term coping strategy for her trauma is to channel her savior complex into Sarah Harvey. And she talks a lot about how, well, Sarah had it so much worse. And I feel like she also uses that as, like, a comfort for herself. Like, she is like, well, like, yeah, but at least I wasn't down there for two years. 
And she says something, there's this one moment again in that scene, sorry, I feel like I'm skipping around, but in that scene where she's, she's finally like talking to Pam, she says, it felt like, I don't know what it felt like. And she was talking specifically about like, you know, referencing how long they were down there. But I also kind of feel like it was more broadly, like she's really struggling to like figure out what she feels. And so she does, she channels that into, well, if I can help Sarah Harvey, then I'll Mm -hmm. feel better. Yeah. And I think it makes her feel in control to be the one saving someone else, right? It makes her feel like she's not so broken. One thing though, that's like not related to her like healing or whatever, but in her PTSD response is... I want to talk about this gun range in Rosewood for a second. Pam is on first name basis with this yeah. gun range operator. Yeah, he like ha- he like knows their phone number and stuff. They're on speed dial, it seems. Yeah. Weird. I mean, not shocking, I guess, right? Like Wayne's in army. Yeah, he's a, he's a real big shot at the gun range. He shows up <laughs> to the Rosewood gun range. It's, you know, like people applaud. It's like, you know, like like he's like <laughs> the mayor. Down. Yeah, he shakes. He's shaking everyone's yeah, hands. He's shaking he hands and kissing babies in the gun range. He's their hero. Just so uh, weird that they're like besties with the gun range owner. Like, yeah, I also thought that was there. They're on a first name basis with the guy that runs the gun range. Uh, it's just not something. That's a red see. flag. That's that a real red be, flag. That should be a red flag law for sure. Okay, so Hannah, Hannah, <laughs> Hannah, Hannah has. Also, a very reasonable response. Like all, all of them. It's all really, like, like the responses that really like make sense. Uh huh. And they really and, fit each of their characters so well. Yes. And Hannah's thing is like she destroys her room. Like she's like, I want everything out. And we talked about this a bit already. But like she, you know, it starts when she sees a bit of like peeling wallpaper, and she's just like, I need this room to be different. I need all of this out. And that is just the most. Like that is that is a correct response. It's actually crazy mm-hmm. a little bit that none of the other girls want to change. But like, I kind of love though that they don't. Like, yeah, Aria kind of, I think, deals with like her un- being uncomfortable in her room by taking photos and also just not being in it. Right? Like, she is out and about. Like mm-hmm. we were saying, Spencer deals with it by do by taking drugs. I guess maybe Emily deals with it by bringing sarah into the room i don't know but yeah like i think hannah wanting yeah yeah, i think hannah wanting to like totally redecorate the room is such a hannah way to go about this yeah and and to do it very impulsively and again as she should like (laughs) she should this is a moment she is very much entitled to that impulsivity and it makes makes a lot of sense but i also so i want to talk about the very end of like songs of experience right the last of this like couplet which is each of the girls engage engaging in their their coping mechanism aria i i talked about you know she's doing the photography she you know in the mirror and then she like can't can't quite take like turn the camera on herself and so instead she turns it to the doll spencer takes the drug takes the anxiety pill that she stole from aria and goes to sleep Emily is, you know, with Sarah Harvey, like talking to Sarah Harvey after Sarah cut off her hair. Uh, And Hannah is, you know, taking the pink swatches off the wall. 
you know, kind of like picking out a new color for her room. And I just really like that as kind of like the the bookend to like, mm-hmm. obviously this isn't the end of their like PTSD story, but like this is the, you know, we are going to get back a little bit to like business as usual, solving the mystery amongst, you know, them dealing with the trauma of this. Mm-hmm. And so I like that as like a bookend of like, these are the, these are the coping mechanisms that they have at sort of at their disposal that they're kind of go forward with. Mm-hmm. And I think it sets the stage for like the rest of their journey. Another interesting thing about like Hannah and how she copes is obviously she redecorates, but she's also the one that's like, let's go back to school. She's the one who like kind of strikes up the conversation with Sullivan. She I has think- her, her like, get in losers we're going to therapy moment where she like picks everyone up to take them to dr sullivan yeah (laughs) um and i think that that's interesting now that like she is really interested in like getting back to normal and i think it's maybe because she is being so coddled by Mm -hmm. ashley and caleb to the point where i I also would want to run away from them like i would want to be active She's the most well, active in her response, I think. I actually, no, I, I, in what way? Because I think that Aria is the one who, I think Aria is running away from this. But then I guess, yeah. like, maybe Hannah is more active in the sense that I think she's I, actively trying I, to I heal, mean, maybe? Is that what yeah, you're saying? I, no, gotcha. I, no, I mean literal activity. Oh, no, I think Aria is more active. She's, like, she's like uh, out and about taking photos and developing photos at the, at Hollis and, like, that she's not she's at the brew she's everywhere yeah but i mean i mean hannah is taking apart her room and going to school and therapy and i i I don't know i think that hannah is i think there's a bit more of a franticness to hannah's i guess is what i'm saying yeah that's true which again fits their characters yeah so another important part i think of like processing the trauma right is when they when they open up and start to talk to another person about what happened or how they're feeling and spencer i think doesn't really have a moment where she talks about it you know, she talks with the liars right they have their group moment but she has more of an angry confrontation i think with but i do think she does open up in a way in that conversation with bron oh absolutely like yeah. i think that that is the most of opening up that we get from her yeah but i think that it's very interesting that it's in the context of a confrontation oh yeah i mean that's very hastings yeah and this is of course like i i I do i love the moment when veronica is like how was school and spencer's like don't do that she's like what she's like try to catch me in a lie it's humiliating like you fucking know i wasn't at school so good it's very good so yeah, I think that's Spencer's moment. And I, I think it's interesting, yeah, that she doesn't quite get, like, she does get to open up, but it's it's not quite the catharsis, I think, that Emily and Hannah have. Because, like, yeah. Emily has, after the gun range, right, we, we talked about, like, she has that whole uh, conversation with Pam about how, you know, she was afraid and she thought it would make her feel better, but it actually just made her more afraid. And she kind of opens up about this fear of, like, what if I had been down there for two years? Like, that like that was a very real possibility that I could have been down yeah. there for years. And then Hannah is the first one actually to open up and she talks to her mom and she's the one, she, this is how we learn about what the game was that 
uh, Charlotte played with them mm-hmm. of who deserves water today and who who gets the electric shock or who, you know, yeah. that game. So, yeah. So Hannah's first in yeah. Songs of Innocence. Then almost very soon after that, Emily opens up to Pam, also in Songs of Innocence. We don't get the Spencer-Veronica conversation until like kind of the end of Songs of Experience. It's like well yeah. into that episode, if not the end. And then Aria, our favorite little photographer. What's interesting about Aria is she has moments of like almost opening up with people. like, And she has moments of sincerity, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I there's think the moment before. with Ella, the, you there's, know, you're smart, but you're also wise. Yeah, there's the mo- even the moment with Ezra where she's talking, where, you know, I won't do my dramatic reading of that quote again but where she's talking about she doesn't want to own it she wants the wall like there's like that actually happens first um she yeah. opens up kind of again i don't want to say open up but it's very down, much a shutting right? down yeah exactly i think she very much is like shutting it down with ezra and i think even with ella to an extent in 602 i think it's 602 yeah in um, songs of innocence she says you know they're having their conversation about uh, Andrew and she's like it has to be Andrew like it just has to be you know and I think that that's another way that she's shutting down but yeah. she really doesn't actually open up to anyone until the episode after Songs of Experience 604 when she talks to Byron and I think it's so interesting right that she all of the other girls mm-hmm. open up to their mothers and Aria opens up to her father yeah I know that's what I noticed. I was like, "That's wild." The queen of daddy issues, she really right? is. Like, I, it's so fitting. But I also and kind of love the way that she does open up to Byron. Like, she shows Byron a photo that she had taken of her room, and she talks about how you know, down there there was a, she had a room that looked just like this, except you know, out the window it was a cement wall, and like all of these like slight differences. And I kind of love that we get so much insight into like her using photography as her coping. I think in that scene where she's like revealing and like talking about what happened or what it, not even what happened, but like what it looked like down there for her to Byron. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's so good. It's very good. Yeah. And then of course I think the songs of experience ends with the girls finally talking to each other. They all open up about like what their experience was and this is how they also learn that like none of them actually received like a, any sort of like shock or anything. Like they thought that they were hurting each other, but they weren't. And I think Spencer, so Spencer says, Charles wanted us to know that there was a point where we would do it. All of us. Like that the point of this was to like demonstrate to them that they would hurt each other. But like, there's this added layer to the fact that like none of them, experienced any shock right which like i wanted to like from their perspective in in that like you know couple of weeks that this was happening what is what are each of them thinking right like because from their perspective they're choosing from their perspective aren't they thinking like i guess i'm the favorite well are they thinking they're the favorite or are they or are they thinking that they're the weakest that oh. the other girls think that they can't handle it. Ooh, maybe. I like that. Well, and also, like, even just, like, I'm the favorite, like, it could go either way. 
Like it could go back, yeah. could be like, I'm A's favorite. So I'm the only one that's playing this game or I'm everyone else's favorite. And so I'm yeah. not receiving these punishments, these tortures. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, they don't know if like, because, because they're not receiving any punishment, right? Like they don't know, am I the only one being forced to make these decisions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and that keeps them, that's what keeps them from ever from like bringing it up for so long, right? Is yeah. the fear that they're going to find out that they were hurting the other girls and the other girls weren't hurting them. Mm-hmm. But also I think if, you know, the other the other alternative like is we were all playing this game and I, nobody ever chose to hurt me. Mm-hmm. And like, what does that mean, right? It means that I hurt the other girls and none of them hurt me. And like, is that because, yeah, like I think- I am think, I a bad friend? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I think like, I think they all know each other well enough to know that like, again, I think that they would interpret it as the girls don't think that I could handle, handle it. Right. Yeah. Like, I definitely, especially that Emily. Yeah. That's, I think that's definitely how Emily probably interpreted it. Like, cause yeah. that's her big thing is like being the weakest link. I feel like it would have made all of them so insecure about like well what do my friends think of me mm-hmm. right as you're forced into this situation of you know your friends having to make these really tough calls right you you start to read into well like what does this mean about what they actually think of me spencer is probably wondering like do they all think that i am fragile right because she was in radley and she had the drug addiction and all of this, like even at one point, uh, Aria does say that, right? That like, oh, Emily, you were never the weakest link. It was always Spencer. I think all of them probably had these yeah. like doubts. Definitely. I I really like at the end of Song of uh, Songs of Innocence when Emily calls them to tell them about Sarah, and that's again like we we start the episode with them all together at the hospital talking, and then other than Arya inviting Spencer over, like they don't talk the rest for like the rest of the episode mm-hmm. until the end. And then they, they interact and they talk a lot more in songs of experience. But still not very much. Like, I no, don't think not that they as go much as usual. I don't think that they really get together the whole group. The whole group doesn't get together again until they're outside Sullivan's office. And I don't think that happens until like mid to late of songs of experience. Another, like, another thing that comes up a lot is just, like, how the other, how other characters in the show deal with this experience. The Songs of Innocence Mm -hmm. starts out with a lot of, like, the girls reassuring other people that, like, they're okay, everything's okay. Like, they've just been rescued from an underground bunker and they're having, like, Emily's having to, like, hold her mom as she cries and tells her mom, like, it's okay. And Hannah you know, does the same like to her mom. And like, I I, like, I, I get it, but also you got to keep it together a little bit. Like your child should not be comforting you Mm -hmm. in this situation. Yeah. And then of course, Toby goes like full on like pop. He is like very much trying to be the protector. We never gave up. We're going to get him. It's Andrew, babe. We're going to get him. Yeah, it's Andrew, babe. Uh, yeah, Toby really throws himself into, like, the role of, like, I can fix this. Like, I'm going to be the one to, like, fix this. 
Yeah. And is actually like not there for Spencer emotionally. Like Toby's quite busy. Yeah, not at all. Cop work. Well, and also he's breaking in a new partner. Yeah. And, and trying really to keep only... that partner away from Allie. Like, yeah, and the only time absolutely... he talks to Spencer really is to tell wait, her, that's like, hey, keep it. Wild. Your yeah. girlfriend was just held hostage for three weeks underground. And you're going to ask her to keep some her friend away from your partner. That's what you're choosing to put on your girlfriend right now. That's crazy. Like, Toby and Spencer barely talk. I feel like in these two and and it's not really about how Spencer is doing. No. Like Toby does not check in with Spencer emotionally. Well, he even like, like even like when he has that ridiculous conversation with Allie, I think he kind of asks, like, oh, that's like that's good that you were talking to Spencer, that you were checking in on Spencer. Because I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Like, where are you? Oh, Toby. Tobes. He's Tobias, not the best boyfriend, guys. Guys, he's really not. I need you all to have higher standards. So, Allison. Allison is interesting to me, actually, in the way that she is in these. She's kind of like the only... Her and Spencer have a lot of time together, which I've talked about already. Maybe she doesn't really... Does she visit any of the other liars? I guess maybe it makes sense, like, Spencer's right next door. But she's, like, out and about as well. Like, Allie is out having conversations and hitting on Lorenzo and signing up to coach youth soccer teams. She really wants to make this about herself too. I can't get over the so badly. We all did. We all went through a hard time. We all sing. I think we, we all sing. sing. She also she also has the moment where, you know, she doesn't want Spencer talking to Jason because she says like I'm, you know, I'm under every stone somebody turns over. Mm-hmm. Like and I, think I, I, that, I enjoy that, that moment. That really works on Spencer. Spencer, I mean, it doesn't stop her from talking to Jason, but Spencer really, uh, I think, gains a lot of empathy for Allison in that conversation. Like she, after that conversation, I think is when Spencer's like, maybe Allie has changed and maybe she she should date Lorenzo. And it's, you know, I think like it is good. Like I think that that's a really interesting like insight into Allie's, feelings about everything and also a really accurate description of uh the show so far yeah but (laughs) but is also very much kind of like making this about her Mm -hmm. and she could she will you know spoiler but she will continue to do that in future episodes he's not looking guys it doesn't matter that charles said he was coming to town he's not after you guys anymore he just wants me yeah you guys aren't i can't when this is we're we're referring to when Charles says he's coming back to town for his birthday or something, and Ken freaks out and takes Allie out of town, and Allie doesn't bother to tell the yeah the rest of the girls that Charles is like coming to town and like doing stuff. It's <laughs> like engaged oh, with and then, and talk to them like it's just and then even when like you know they find out that you know it's Charlotte and Charlotte is CC and all of the stuff, and in the five years forward. Allison makes them all fucking come back to testify. I mean, she doesn't make them come back, but she she very much treats it like this thing happened to me. This thing happened to me. I'm and the only one. Guys, like almost that. owe it to me to yeah. like make sure that Charlotte gets released, <laughs> which is crazy. It's crazy. She really makes it all about her. Anyways, 
but in addition to making it all about her, which a lot of characters do, she's also really in denial about Charles. Like, mm-hmm. as much as she wants us to all be about her, she also is like, I gonna, do not yeah. want this to be my responsibility. And if this is my brother, then I feel like it's partially my fault. I will so say. in denial. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we are going off of Spencer rearranging letter mm-hmm. blocks in her mind. So I think. I mean, coupled with like the video the the true true or whatever but like like, from a name perspective yeah we are basing this on so little like what if there's another name that can be spelled with those letters yeah like yes probably that you the fact that you can spell charles de laurentis with the letters and you guys know some de laurentises that's a pretty good sign that it's probably the case but like it also could be something else but well, I mean, anyways, yeah. and then again, if we see <laughs> Jessica in the in the video and stuff, but right. yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, she's Allison's very much in denial. But also, like Allie didn't see problems. that video. No, but so what I'm saying though she's is, been like, told about it. She's been told about it, but like again, like does she Allie not trust that they're no. <laughs> telling the truth? No, she wouldn't be. Caleb gets really <sighs> overprotective. Like he puts a tracker, not in this episode, but in the in episode. We should, we, maybe we should have included episode four as well because <laughs> we keep talking about it. But like he puts a tracker on her car in episode four, and he's like, you know, watching the cop trade shifts. Really and intense. This, ra- you know, like rather than like you know staying in bed with Hannah, and like he is protecting Hannah at the expense of being there for her emotionally and like mm-hmm. being actually like a support to her. And I think that this is like a really common thing. I think, you know, especially from men who like don't feel capable of actual like emotional care and support and depth in, and and it's understandable in this situation. Like this is an overwhelming situation to as a as like a 18 year old boy to be trying to like yeah. help your girlfriend through like i understand like i'm not like blaming caleb for his emotional maturity but be more mature he doesn't feel capable of helping her emotionally because he, i think he doesn't understand how kind of simple like it is like she just needs him to be there mm-hmm. and to listen so instead of being there he is you know in the chair watching the cops change shifts and like just like you know trying to like keep her safe and directing all of his energy into that and it's not at all what she needs and also like that's what toby is doing too obviously Mm -hmm. so i guess if we're gonna cut caleb a little slack we'll cut toby a little slack on that too but also he's like i mean i don't yeah in the vein of people making it all about themselves which i think everyone kind of does to some extent or another um, Which I think is understandable, but also I think they're not doing it to the right person. They're always making it about themselves to the person who actually experienced the worst thing. And not like having like a, a you know, that conversation, like what, where's the conversation between Toby and Caleb where they talk about what's gone on and how they're feeling. I mean, I can never, that would never happen. Or no. even just like how they can better support and like, catch this guy or even like yeah where's the heart where are the hardy boys right like yeah no where you're imagining is actually would just be a scene of them with pictures connected with string and i want as they try and figure things 
And I want it. Um, Where is it? Well, because now, you know, Toby's on his cop shit. And Caleb's not a part of that brotherhood. <laughs> and then, I mean, Allie, of course, makes it all about her to multiple people at different times. The the most egregious being, you know, they went through a lot. We, we all, all did. did. Um, but okay, Victoria Justice. <laughs> I hope but people then, get that reference. I think they will. But then uh, it's also Ezra, who to Aria says, I was only in that place for a few minutes. You were there a lot longer. In that she was there at all? Because yeah. Ezra, you weren't. You weren't. You, <laughs> I guess, again, in the at some point it would seem that the boyfriends got like a tour of the bunker. <laughs> like the girls were rescued and then the cops, I presumably Toby, I guess, was like, all right boyfriend tour of the bunker <laughs> do you think they oh, i guess Paige wasn't there Paige is gone did, yeah. did allison get to tour the bunker <laughs> like or was this just a boyfriend's tour i like um, that it was just a boyfriend's tour i don't think toby was inviting allison on the tour are you kidding oh yeah no he doesn't he doesn't like Allie. that's true but yeah it's like uh, well ezra sure physically did you you were you maybe weren't... in the same place but, but you weren't there. You weren't being held captive in this place for weeks on end. Yeah. Like, cause like, okay. Not the like same thing at all. There's a way to phrase this sentiment, right? Where he's like, you know, I, I was only in there for like a few minutes. I can't, and I can't imagine what being there would have been like. I can't imagine like being you know, trapped like, there or like, yeah, I, I was only there with Toby and Caleb when we were like taking a little tour around. Like, I can't imagine what it was like to <laughs> yeah i can't imagine what it was like to be there not for recreation yeah <laughs> sorry i just because of because i've been on hunger games tiktok and i've been like reading hunger games in the in the hunger games books there's this thing that like the arenas after the games are turned into like a tourist destination where people can go <laughs> oh. and stay and like visit the <laughs> that's where what like, deaths happened and this is like this that's is what so i'm imagining <laughs> yeah this is what um, i'm imagining the boyfriend tour of the bunker was <laughs> i think that's probably really accurate apparently apparently the food is incredible at these these, at these arena tourists spots. yeah wow um is this anyways. in the sorry not to go yeah. hungry is, is this in the original series or is it in the prequel that they talk no, about this it? is in the original series oh i do not in remember that one. yeah katniss talks about how with like the cave she's like people will probably like visit the cave they have like actors reenact scenes from the games like a civil war reenactment yeah yeah that's wild they're like going to colonial williamsburg yeah but it's from the games that happened like four months ago um anyway well that's fun pretty little liars yeah so that's what i'm imagining that being like and yeah so like there's a way ezra could have expressed that sentiment that like wouldn't have been but like the way he expresses it it makes it seem like he was kidnapped and mm-hmm. held there for like a day or something like ezra wait your turn you will be kidnapped eventually yeah Just and then you get that all about you <laughs> although even then it should be more about spencer but you know yeah. what ezra ezra can get a little bit of time in that scene is and that's that... true he was the one that was going to be killed yeah <laughs> so. he was the one knocked over the head i love the way that we like <laughs> write ezra out of the end of the show even though he's physically there <laughs> He's unconscious. <laughs> As he should be. <laughs> uh, so, okay. To round this out, just like I want to get back a little bit to like the titles. 
throwback to the beginning yes. of when we started talking about this two hours ago <laughs> yeah and songs of experience and this idea of transitioning or like being forced into this experience age that is the loss of childhood i think we've talked about those themes i think as a whole for this for Mm -hmm. these two episodes but i i'm just curious like i I guess you said you can't really tell the difference between the two episodes like (laughs) is it sorry is it just the diff like I mean, obviously it has to be songs of innocence and then songs of experience. But I just wonder, like, is like the subject matter of the two episodes and how that relates to one being songs of innocence and one being songs of experience. I mean, I will say, I think that like in songs of innocence, I think, and obviously by nature of it being earlier on in their, you know, healing, I've said a healing journey too many times in their like healing process. Of course, it's going to be a little, I think they are much more insulated and I think they are trying to heal in unhealthy, maybe childlike ways. And that's not to say that they've all like figured it out perfectly and they know exactly how to cope with this trauma in Songs of Experience. But I think there's, in in, in Songs of Innocence, I think there's a, a pushing it down, a running away from it. And I think in Songs of Experience, there is more of a mature confrontation and like dealing with it um approach that they take yeah definitely and like that's when like they finally talk to each other right is in songs Mm -hmm. of experience again like song like with the end of songs of experience with all of them kind of coping at the end there i think that there is a sense of emerging from the experience Mm -hmm. even though it's you know it's not necessarily like what's behind them but like they're now going to move forward with their lives Mm -hmm. in some way well, and also just in the way w- to go back to like who they each kind of open up to in Songs of Innocence, Hannah and Emily both open up to their mothers, which feels very much like a childlike, like innocent way of dealing with an issue. And obviously in Songs of Experience, Spencer, quote unquote, opens up to her mother as well, but in a much more, I think, mature adult way mature questionable but like a much more adult reaction of you know when you're when you're young I think and you're seeking you seek comfort in your mother and in a way that I think yes Spencer still is seeking that comfort but I think she is but also seeks it from drugs like an adult exactly exactly (laughs) (laughs) no but but she but I think she like she stands up for herself to her mother in a way that I think you don't typically see in that more innocent childlike coping. Does that make sense? Am I just talking bullshit? No, I, yeah. And, but I, but I think almost like more importantly, right. Is like songs of innocence. They are sort of, they're in this like realm of like family, like their mothers. Right. And they're, Mm -hmm. and, and talking to their moms and getting, see, getting like that comfort from their mothers and songs of experience ends. I think kind of with them getting that from each other. Yeah. And also sort of, independently right like with their different Mm -hmm. like coping strategies and stuff it's like a sort of leaving of the nest and i think that that's also really interesting with the one set of poems that i talked about songs of innocence little girl lost and songs of experience being little uh, little girl lost or little Little girl found and the way that so in that i mean 
have a little bit of an issue with it if it's kind of you know it's it's more about this this girl coming to like a sexual maturity and like her you know leaving her parents to like now be with the this like man kind of right like Mm -hmm. her new protector her new guardian which is obviously a very antiquated like you know whatever but i think taking that concept and putting it to songs of songs of innocence and songs and so it's a real tongue twister guys. (laughs) songs of innocence and songs of experience within pretty little liars is they you know again like with their parents or in this case like their mothers in songs of innocence and finding that independence i think in themselves and in their female like friendship in songs of experience Mm -hmm. like that is their being found yeah beautiful so yeah if you can ignore the paternalism in <laughs> little girl found then i think it really works <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is songs of innocence and songs of experience our first episode recap yes deep dive whatever you want to call it i don't know if you yeah. call it a recap but yeah i don't think we did a good best of recap best of luck if you could follow what happened in these episodes <laughs> based on yeah. this conversation because we jumped around a lot like i said sort of chronological order like i said these are just one episode for me yeah i really have a hard time delineating between the two i know i think that's okay i know the ending scenes like i know like where each one begins and ends and it's the middle part the middle parts are where it gets blurry for me but you know i think they're they're, i mean they're meant to be companion episodes obviously and so i think that's okay (laughs) yeah well they nailed it then So now that we've covered Songs of Innocence and Experience, we wanted to start a new segment in the podcast. Obviously, we did our deep dives into each of the liars, and we'll have more character deep dives um, in the future. But there's just so many good characters in Pretty Little Liars that we want to give some of these more minor characters a chance to have a moment where we talk about them for like their 15 minutes of exactly fame. exactly <laughs> we have a long list of characters i put them into a random generator and we're gonna have it choose one for us and then we're just gonna riff on that person for however long yeah a few you minutes ready? we'll see are you ready yep. drum roll mrs fitzgerald Oh, Mrs. Fitzgerald. Do we know her? Diane. 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 It is Diane. Diane Fitzgerald. Yes. Diane Fitzgerald. Bad mom. Bad mom. Bad person. Also, like, it's kind of her fault. Not, I mean, look, Maggie made some bad choices uh, in, like, not figuring out the actual paternity of her child. But, like, Diane offering to basically, like, pay her off. I feel like is a big part of why Maggie like pretends that it's Ezra's kid. Totally. Well, and also it's like, she's just been paying for this kid. That's in no way related to her. She's poor investment had. Yeah. That's a scam. (laughs) Susceptible to scammers. Put it down. You know what makes me like, makes me like Maggie more that she scammed this like rich woman out of a bunch of money. Yeah. So who um, do we think is like the so for the Fitzgeralds, like their family and what they who they are, who do we think they are like analogous to in real life? I, I don't know. I don't know, if it's, I don't know that the Fitzgeralds are like rich enough 
for us to know who like a counterpart in the real world for them would necessarily be because mm-hmm. like they're not the kennedys they're not the vanderbilts right like they're not at that level to compare them to not a real family they're more like gossip girl level like the waldorfs that but they're not like the ba- like basses mm, okay yeah i see that i'm assuming that the crossover of pretty little eyes and gossip girls fans is pretty extensive i think most people I would hope that circle. watch pretty little liars saw gossip girl so like i think that they're like that level you know they're definitely part of like the new york wealthy upper east side type socialite yeah, yeah like kind of like old money but not again they're not the but they also like own a theater which is yeah i mean cool great reason i think it makes sense but again i think they're but old kind of like of the arts types yeah but like but like they own this theater like people know who ezra is the people who work there know ezra not in the way that like they donated yeah, money taking, that not in the way that they teenage girlfriends there all the time yeah but it's not in the way that they like donated money to for a theater to be named after them do you know what i mean like it's yeah. different it's like they own and operate this theater presumably a broadway theater <laughs> the idea that the fitzgeralds oh like using the phrase own and operate really makes it sound like it's like the family restaurant that this that's what they treat it like that's what they yeah. treat it like because i mean typically the way these theaters i think are named it's more of like a donation like you yeah you somehow naming or like or... yeah you 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 donate and you get the naming rights or whatever of a of a theater or a building or whatever but like they treat this like it's an extension of it they treat it like you know yeah family restaurant this is where ezra grew up like just running around the halls of this theater what again like is this a broadway theater is it just like an off-broadway so. theater like I, they never say it's on broadway so it's i think pretty it's pretty big though yeah maybe it could be like the beacon theater i don't know if you ever went there but anyways Anyways, oh yeah, I mean this the, theater. What just situ- <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a mystery exactly how wealthy their family is and how well known they are. But like it's also like when Arya finds out he's a Fitzgerald, right? It's not like she's like what a, like a like from the Fitzgerald like family like she doesn't recognize that right. as like you know. Yeah. But other than, you know, author of the Great Gatsby fame, but <laughs> um, so he does have a fun like, Ezra does have a fun line. She was like, "Well, what if you were born a Hemingway?" And then he says, I guess I'd be Ezra Hem. <laughs> I'm not um, creative enough to come up with anything else. No. <laughs> um, she does kind of strike me a bit of, of like a, a Lily Vanderwoodson to bring it back to Gossip Girl. Yeah. Like, like I, can, I can see them being a Vanderwoodson Let's Okay. Type. Let's talk about like this car situation. So Ezra, when he's like short for cash because he's been fired from everything because he's dating a child. He sells his grant. Wes gives Ezra their grandfather's car, and then Ezra sells it. But then yeah. turns out he wasn't allowed to sell it, so now he has to go and like buy it back. That's a pretty shit parent move to like be like, "Sorry, I know you're out of work yeah. right now, but well, because she wants him to come back to the money, right? Like she's trying yeah. to use the money, but like to him? make him have to. I know she's doing a lot of work to get him yeah. back." yeah her exactly um, <laughs> no it doesn't make sense 
Yeah, I mean, she's got to be so concerned for her son, though, at this point, because she also knows that he's dating a child. Yeah. How much does she offer to pay Arya again? Do we know that? No, I think she just says, like, there there could be very real world. Right. Like, finan- like whatever, to you leaving him or something. She yeah. doesn't specify. Arya do does, like. Think? How much do you think? I mean, keeping in mind that she's dealing with a child. Ten grand. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, if I were Arya, that would be enough. Oh, yeah. Like, if I were Arya's age, honestly, if I were this age, if I were my current age, I think I would really have to love someone. Okay. And then also the way in which she, here's one other thing that we don't know too much about her. The way she picks Maggie out of her home, that's wild. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and this this is before she knows that. Yeah. Malcolm yeah. isn't Ezra's son. Like she's she thinks so that this upset. is her grandchild. Yeah, she's so upset that Maggie told Ezra that this kid exists, that she makes them homeless. Yeah. Look, Wild. she had she had an agreement. They had a contract yeah. and she broke it, okay? And she's just gonna let them live for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I also I want to talk about diane and ella oh my god yes i little god about it i forgot that diane is even referenced in the five years forward yeah and how her what who is it that i I think diane like throws something at ella oh my god really yes with i think you know arguing about seating charts or something i would be says and aria kind of was like oh no it slipped like but like she threw something. <laughs> God, she's crazy. Uh, I would love to be a fly on the wall of like Ella and Diane, of Diane and Ella planning, making a seating chart for their wedding, for their for Ezra and Arya's wedding, for the wedding of Ella's Ella's daughter, who twenty three year old daughter, who's now to married her high school English, English teacher. <laughs> oh, she no, she's not just referenced in the five years forward. She's seen. Oh, is she at the rehearsal dinner? Yes. You're right. You're right. She's at the rehearsal dinner. And she's like upset that I think Ella maybe said something about like liking the like cocktail wieners or something. And Diane is so offended by the suggestion that she would serve cocktail wieners at a party. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um... it's gold. It's so good. Is this so. interesting? Anyways, write in. Let us know if this was interesting for you at all, or if we should never do this again. (laughs) We had fun, and that's what this is all about. So, anyways, tune in next week to see who we randomly have to talk about for an undetermined period of time. Alrighty. Email. Leave us a review. Do whatever. Email us your thoughts. Leave us a review. Do whatever you want to do with a podcast. Do you want to share it with someone? Go for it. No expectation. I don't expect anybody to be listening to this. Yeah. Tweet about it if you want to. I don't know. Do do whatever feels right for you. <laughs> All right. Cheerio, sister. Cheerio, sister. Like a skipping.